You actually have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You want to do a lot of preparation. Right. And it's no different than me preparing for combat. And if you demonstrate out of the gate, you're willing to do the work to get good at making decisions, that's going to be recognized very quickly. Probably the best piece of advice I can give you uh, or give the listeners is, is to be humble. Hey, everyone. Welcome to PepsiCo's Unexpected Professor podcast. I'm your host, John Palumbo. Now, we created this podcast for all you college students out there who have probably heard about all those skills that you'll need when you graduate and enter the workforce, or as some people call it, the quote-unquote real world. Um, skills like decision-making, skills like preparation, which are, which are really critical, uh, critical skills that employers look for in future managers and leaders. Now, the thing is, there are some critical skills like preparation and, and decision-making that aren't taught in college. There just aren't any courses. So when you start looking for help, especially if you head out onto the web, you end up finding tips and advice and strategies from very expected sources. And while that information is, is great to know, we wanted to help you in a different way. We don't just want you to learn from expected sources, but we want you to learn from unexpected sources as well because tapping into unexpected sources to get diverse thinking and perspectives is something that's done at PepsiCo every day to, to build employee skills, to spur innovation, to create new products. And, and, and each episode of this podcast is going to give you the opportunity to experience that philosophy while helping you build some of those important real-world skills that you keep hearing about. Now, all that being said, today's unexpected professor is retired Marine fighter pilot and Top Gun instructor Dave Burke. Hey, Dave. Thanks for being here. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Now, if you're wondering why we chose a fighter pilot, just consider those skills that I mentioned earlier, like preparation and decision-making. Obviously, fighter pilots... They, they need to be completely prepared for their missions, and they need to make quick, strategic decisions. So I thought we'd spend some time with Dave and learn about some of the approaches that fighter pilots use to help you when you get out into the workforce. So um, let's get started. All right, so Dave, I think, I think we all realize that preparation and decision-making are, are important skills for fighter pilots to have, but, but I think it would be helpful for us to hear you explain why preparation and making fast, smart decisions are so important for fighter pilots. Maybe you could even use some examples of situations and scenarios to kind of bring it to life for us. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, first, I would tell you that you're absolutely right. The the idea that preparation helps you make good decisions um, is 100% true, and preparation is critical. So the, I think the best example for preparation from a fighter pilot in terms of combat is uh, if I was fighting another aircraft, my preparation would be understanding all the things that airplane can and can't do, all the capabilities that airplane has. So I don't want to make decisions that play into his biggest strengths. I actually want to make decisions that take full advantage of his weaknesses. So the preparation for me would be considering all the capabilities that I have and he has, and then building kind of a game plan in my mind that the decisions I make play to my strengths and undermine where his weaknesses are, and I'm going to try to attack those all throughout. And I can't do that in real time. I have to think about that ahead of time. And the preparation is really what allows us to make smart decisions uh, while we're flying an aircraft. Yeah, oh, wow, that's great. So, so, so I did a little research about fighter pilots and, and how they 
prepare and make decisions. And I kept I kept coming across something called the OODA loop. Am I saying that right? OODA loop. Yeah, absolutely. You got it. No, okay. You got it. And, and and it seems to be that seems to be the preparation and decision-making process or approach that that a lot of fighter pilots use. So I figured we'd spend the bulk of our time together focusing on that. So, and before we get before we discuss how it actually works, can you give a quick overview of what it is, maybe how it started? Yeah, for sure. So, yes, the OODA loop is kind of the preparation process. And the reason why that is for aviation is that the OODA loop was actually developed by a fighter pilot. It was a guy named John Boyd in the Korean War in the 1950s, uh, and he pioneered this uh, um, this, this decision-making process that kind of got formalized into something we call the OODA loop. Now, OODA is just an acronym. It stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. And the reason it's called a loop is that it's not this sort of four-step, discrete process, one, two, three, four, and you're done. Everything kind of feeds back into it. There's a lot of diagrams. If your listeners ever want to Google OODA loop, they'll see how the diagram t- uh, depicts that the process moves in a loop, and it kind of circles back onto yeah. each other and moves forward and moves backwards. So it's not linear. So the idea of OODA is the process, and loop is kind of how it works. But the real thing that came from this is this guy, John Boyd, this uh, Air Force colonel, this fighter pilot. It came from the Korean War because the aircraft we were fighting against in the Korean War, the the Russian counterparts to our primary aircraft, their equipment was better than ours. Hmm. And uh, the answer to to winning in in combat wasn't to build a better airplane. We had what we had. Actually, the answer was better decision-making. And this loop was kind of derived from his understanding that you can actually outperform uh, a superior performing machine if you make better and faster decisions. And it it essentially became formalized, and it's something that permeated all throughout the military. It permeated uh, the private sector. It's something that's um, really proliferated everywhere. People don't maybe understand that, uh, but the reality is, is that it, the origins came from uh, an American fighter pilot, but it really exists all over the place. Oh, that's that's fascinating. Now, can can you maybe you could give us an example so uh, of of each part of the OODA loop? So uh, an example of observe, orient, yeah. decide, and act, and and the loop. <laughs> Well, for sure. So if you start and kind of go through each step in the process, observe, (laughs) it's actually pretty simple if you think about it. It's the idea of you need to look at what's going on around you. And I would say in the most rudimentary term, uh, the thing you should pay attention to, the thing you should observe the most in an aircraft is the ground. Uh, is the horizon, is your relationship to the earth. So you kind of always want to know where you are in relation to earth because you want to be very controlled when you and the earth come in contact with each other. Hmm. But there's obviously more to that. You know, you observed your fuel gauges. You might observe um, how fast you were going. I talked about altitude. You know, you certainly would observe other aircraft around you, observe the sun, and and you can actually create kind of an infinite list of things you observe. But, But the point behind that is in the process is that in an aircraft, you actually need to observe a lot of things, which takes something that sounds very simple, and it actually is pretty challenging. And you need to observe all the components that are going on around you uh, and try to process that in your own brain. And as you might guess, in an aircraft moving very fast, maybe in uh, poor weather conditions or at night or in a whole bunch of other dynamic environments, there's a lot to observe out there. Uh, but the requirement at the beginning is try to incorporate all the things that you can see and observe uh, at the beginning of this loop. Hmm. And 
moving kind of to the next step, that second phase of the loop is called orient. Think of orientation uh, as the idea of taking all these things, all these things you've observed, all this data that you've collected through your eyeballs and the gauges and the audio and all the things talking to you and, and observing uh, things that you're observing. You have to put that into context. So really what the orientation phase is putting things into context so they make sense. I describe it as taking data and turning it into information. And anybody that's ever gone through the idea of calling out data, you realize data is not all that helpful until you put it into context. Right. And so maybe the best example I could give you is, let's say you and I are flying against each other. You're in your aircraft and I'm in my aircraft. And I look over and I observe you, I see you. Well, that's fine, but if you're pointed at me, that's a completely different dynamic than if you're pointed away from me. And the same would be true if you're pointed up or pointed down. So it's not just enough to observe and say, I see an airplane. I actually have to put that into context and create a relationship between me and you. And the reason that's important is that, like I said, if the orientation is that you are pointed at me, I'm gonna make a whole bunch of different decisions than if your orientation was that you were pointed away from me. Right. And so I can't get to the next step. I can't get to that decision phase until I've observed what's going going on and put it into context and that's what that orientation is about so those two and you pieces, can even so oh, observe, sorry go ahead. observe and orient are almost the the preparation phases if we were going to yeah. kind of put, okay that that's that that's exactly right that's really part of the preparation really what you're doing is you're preparing to make a decision right <laughs> and it's not it's it, you're going to realize that the definitions of these things observe or they're very simple definitions sure. but the process themselves is challenging it's yeah. hard and if you and I are are in the exact same airplane and I can observe more than you and orient it to my my world faster than you can then in the exact same machine I'm going to outperform you and what that means is I'm actually going to make better decisions than you. And and part of that preparation is, as you described, I kind of break up the loop into two halves, the left half, the observe orient. I kind of think of that as the science of the loop. That's the math. Right. That's looking outside. It's calculating airspeed. It's figuring out if he's above or below or forward or back. And then when you move into the next step, that decide and act phase, that's kind of more of the art because you're taking the information you've created from from all that data you've you've observed you've oriented yourself and now you actually have to do something right so i got to look over and decide i'm going to pull into him i'm going to turn away from him i'm going to climb up above him or maybe move my i have to actually make a decision and there's no 100 percent always correct decision there's a little bit of an art to it and that comes into some experience and you kind of leverage that you haven't seen something in the past and as you might guess my decisions if i've seen this a lot more than you are probably going to be better than yours and conversely if you've seen this a whole bunch and i'm brand new my decisions might not be all that good even with the same amount of information that's available sure, to me sure. and that third step in the uh, process decide you know one of the interesting things about that is because it's a loop I don't just stop looking as I make my decision. I may make a decision to pull up and you might immediately do something different with the airplane and I have to either follow through with my decision or maybe even change it. And as you might guess, in airplanes going really fast, that process is moving very quickly. Sure. But it all culminates in the same way. It always culminates with an action. And this last step in the process, certainly in aviation, really to me is very critical because if you delay and you wait and you pause and you sort of decide not to do anything, that can be deadly in an aircraft. So you have to make 
your decisions and turn them into actions, and you have to do it as quickly as possible. And that action phase at the end, it gives you all your feedback. Was this a good decision? Did my maneuver work? Right, Did his right. reaction affect you know what I was doing? And so that process, uh, it's pretty complex when you kind of think about it in those terms. I, I love the arts and sciences, though. That I like how you kind of how you kind of position that yeah. or frame that. Um, Okay, yeah, so, right on. So, so, so now that we understand, so now we kind of understand each part of the loop. Maybe, maybe you, if you can quickly kind of bring them to life for us by talking about, t- talk about them from, and you, you kind of touched on this, but maybe even give a, give a, a different example or, or another example, just from the perspective of a, fi- a fighter pilot, right? Put us in some situations where the OODA loop might be used. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, and maybe the one that, that actually is one of the most challenging uh, is actually landing on an aircraft carrier. Oh, okay. And you, you may have seen this, and I'm sure listeners could 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 have either heard it or could even look this one up as well. Uh, a lot of combat pilots will tell you that it's more terrifying to land on a carrier at night than it is to actually be in combat itself. Huh. Uh, I've had some pretty terrifying nights uh, at the ship, but that process of taking your aircraft and landing it on a boat. Hey, that's a noodle loop. It's just like anything else. And if you break it down to those component parts, you know, the observation part is I'm going to look at all the things my airplane's doing, how high, how low, how fast, all the things that, that define where my aircraft is in space. But now I have to look at the carrier. I have some series of lights that tell me if I'm high or low, if I'm lined up left or right. I even had some indicators of where the boat's going. The boat is listing to one side or moving in this direction or which way the wind is coming. There's a lot of things just to pay attention to. And then again, that orientation phase is I have to figure out where I am in relationship to that other moving object. And people got to realize when you're landing on a boat, that boat isn't stationary in the water. It's actually steaming through the water, sometimes really fast. And all while it's moving in one direction, wind might be coming from another direction. So it actually complicates that. And so landing on ship when you're going through those, those two first steps, it's about you in relationship to the boat and relationship to the wind. And all those components have to go in there for you to make a decision. And the decisions in this one happen very quickly because your corrections, if you're just a couple of feet high, I think it's maybe eight feet high, you won't land on the ship. You'll either go around and miss all the wires, or if you're eight feet low, uh, a much worse situation, you can actually hit the back of the ship. So you're making decisions and moving the throttles really, really fast. I mean, probably three, four, five times every second. And it just is sort of this constant movement. And that's where the loop really comes to life. Observe, orient, decide, act. And you're doing it over and over and over again. And the pilots that are the most successful at the ship are the ones that make the most corrections the most rapidly and are able to respond to what they're seeing more effectively. Yeah. And as you might guess, the first time you land on a ship at night in your in your plane, you almost just sort of stare at it. It's like a moment of panic. And, <laughs> right. and you, 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 you do very little, and oh, it's really man. very dangerous. That's why you know junior rookie pilots are, are less safe around the boat because they kind of get frozen because they've never seen it before, and they don't really have a good frame of reference to do this. Right. And as you get better and more comfortable, you start to relax and start to pay more attention to what's going on around you make better decisions, act quicker, and then all of a sudden landing on a carrier at night, it actually becomes a little bit easier. Right. So that loop in, in real life, landing on the boat at night, any pilot that's listening will get a good chuckle out of this. That's a really good example of how this works uh, just in, in your aircraft that's by yourself. Such a great example. So, okay, so interestingly, the, the, the application of the OODA loop, and you, you alluded to this earlier, has kind of evolved beyond the military and, and is used in, <laughs> oh, as yeah. a preparation decision-making strategy in all different fields, like from litigation, cybersecurity, I've read, you know, sales, business, everything. So, Everywhere. And, and in, yeah, fact, sure. in fact, these days, you work for a consulting company called Echelon Front, 
that helps <laughs> executives across all different industries apply the OODA loop. Maybe you can give us some examples of, of situations where you help them do this. Yeah, for sure. So it's a great question. And part of the reason why I break down the OODA loop into the art and science is, look, when this thing was developed back in the 50s, we didn't have uh, an iPhone and we didn't have right. Google. We didn't have access to literally the world's information in the palm of our hands. So the left side of that loop was really critical because gathering information and, and getting data to turn information, that was really hard to do. What you find in most businesses today now is they actually are overloaded with business. I'm sorry, they're overloaded with information. Right. Um, so you have this idea that most companies, for the most part, even the competitive ones that are competing with each other in whatever industry you're talking about, they all kind of have access to most of the same information. Certainly there are some proprietary things, but access to data information, look, there's big data. There's, a, there's an entire segment out there that is, exists strictly to take data and turn it into relevant, relevant information. Mm -hmm. So uh, companies don't really get a big competitive advantage anymore by having access and being able to call out more relevant data to information. Now, there's a little bit of that, but it's not really where you see the biggest advantage because so much parity is out there in that part. Where we really see the application of the OODA loop to business is on the right side of the art. And another way to describe the right side of the loop, it's the leadership side of the loop. Decisions and taking actions, that's what leaders do. Yep. Making, uh, finding information and taking data and information, that's not really a leadership tool. That's kind of that's kind of a process and just about anybody or any machine can do that. We can create uh, processes and, and, and create data and turn in good information. But leaders have to make decisions. And so what we really do is try to get them to understand and try to create a relevance to their particular industry of what does decision making mean and look it sounds simple but actually getting up in front of a bunch of people and telling them what we're going to do actually isn't enough you have to do more than that you have to give them all the components that go into the decision the why the impact what's going to happen if we do this what the, what is the feedback we're, we're looking for what information drove this decision making mm. and even there we've seen that decision making pretty good Really where we see most companies and most key leaders struggle is in that last step, the action phase. Because what really comes along with taking action is now you own it. When you right. take action, once you actually do something, the consequence kind of falls into your lap. And it's a pro it's part of the process where most people are afraid of. Because as a key leader, once you take action, once you start to implement, if it goes wrong or if it struggles or doesn't go as you as expected, the consequence is sort of squarely in your, in your lap. And so what we've seen in a lot of companies is that they're really good at making decisions and they're not so good at taking action. And you'll see us we'll be in a conference room or a meeting and say, hey, gents, this is the plan. Hey, team, this is the decision we're going to make. And then two weeks later, the same group of people will be in that same meeting space. And, and I'll lean over to you and say, uh, you know, hey, Bill, hey, John, hey, hey, Mary, what do we end up doing with that thing from two weeks? And we'll look at each other and go, I don't know. <laughs> right. It's because nobody actually did anything about it. Right. And that taking action piece is about ownership. Uh, it's about taking personal responsibility, and it's about um, it's really that, that hardest step in the process there. So that's where we really focus those on the right side, specifically that A and what that means, and how critical that is uh, uh, as in your role as a leader is to take uh, take the information out there, make decisions, and take action on yeah, it. That's a great point. So so even as I was as I was doing research about about the OODA loop, I, I, I came across this interview that you did. I think it was with Business Insider. It you, was. Yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. You you kind of and you said. Every single thing you do in your life, every decision you make is an OODA loop. And I, want, I was thinking, I want him to explain that. 
Okay. Well, <laughs> that's, I'm glad you did some homework there. And I, I remember that interview. And, and, and look, the reality is, is that's true. OODA loop is simply an acronym for an analytical decision-making. And when I say it applies everywhere, it, it really does. And, and maybe the best rudimentary example of it is something that you and I probably take for granted, but it's something that happens all the time. And, and the, the base, best example is, is crossing the street. And crossing the street is probably pretty easy for, for you and me. And I, I'm going to guess if I say, hey, do you have any pro problems crossing the street? You kind of laugh at me and say no. And then I'd say in the same breath, I got a five-year-old. Uh, how good do you think my son is at crossing the street? And you'd probably chuckle and think he's pretty terrible. My, my son is just not good at it. And the reason he's not good at it is because he hasn't done it enough. So we can break that thing down the same way. We get up to the street corner. And what's the first thing we do before we cross the street? We look around. We observe. We're looking for the red sign that says don't walk or the white sign that says walk. We're looking for other vehicles. We're looking for parked cars. We're looking for other people. We're looking for all the cues that we can get that tell us when we should cross the street. And we have to put all those cues into context. Now, if I'm standing in a street corner with you and I look down the road and I see a truck, big 18-wheel truck, and it's, let's say, 50 yards away. Mm -hmm. But it's stopped. I see the hazard lights on. It's pulling on the side of the road. I'm going to look at that thing, and I'm pretty quickly going to say, you know what? That giant truck, that's no factor for me. I can cross the street. Now, I could look in the same direction, and I could see a motorcycle that looks like it's 100 yards away. But I can tell that that motorcycle is moving really fast. So it's twice as far away as that giant truck, and it's a tiny little vehicle. But I might not cross the street because I'm putting the information into context saying, meh. I know it's small and it's far away, but that thing is moving really fast, right. and I might probably not. And I'm going to take all that information, and I'm going to decide whether I want to cross the street or not. What my kid does is he gets up to the street corner. He looks around. I don't think he's processing anything, and I can't tell whether he's going to go or not. It's pretty arbitrary at this point. So you know what I do? I hold his hand pretty tightly. I point out all the things I'm looking at, and I walk him through that process. Right. The way you get good at crossing the street is you cross the street a million times. And that's why you and I are good at it. But if you and I, all of a sudden, we're gonna put each other, uh, let's say, I don't know, do you, do you, do you wrestle or train jujitsu or any martial arts or anything like that? No, I don't. Well, so that's a good example. And so if you've never done that, and I said, okay, now you're gonna get on the mat uh, and you're gonna do, you and I are gonna wrestle. And let's say I've been wrestling for my entire life. Right. How good do you think you'll be at that? Probably not very. You're going to be terrible at it, right? But right. my son, let's say my son's now, he's 10 years old, 11, 12 years old, and he's been doing it you know, for, for the last 10 years. Right. He actually can be pretty good at it. Yep. Um, so this idea of the OODA loop being everywhere, it literally is everywhere. That's Every great. decision we make, it's a matter of what we see, how quickly we put that into context, meaning how quickly can we relate it to us, make a decision, take action on that decision, and then quickly get some feedback. So if my kid steps off across the street and the feedback is, is I yank him back by his arm and he sees a car whizzing by, that's a little data It goes into his brain and go, oh, that was not, that was not a good decision. Yeah. I, I saw these things. I made the decision. And that was a bad idea. And then maybe the next time he does it and we walk and I say, good job, boy, and I grab his hand and we walk across together. He now files that away and says, oh, that was, that was a good decision. My action gave me some good positive feedback. And what he does is he builds a little mental Rolodex, having done that thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times, that he can get up and start – making decisions about crossing the street. You and I don't have to stand at the street corner, look back and forth 20 times. We can 
almost do it in our sleep. Right. But actually our brain is going through this decision-making process. And anybody that's been in a really uncomfortable situation, like wrestling with someone that they've, they've wrestled before against a professional wrestler, you're going to feel really lost, much right. like my son walking across the street. And what's required from that is repetition and repetition and repetition. The OODA loop, we make decisions about everything all the time. The ones that are easy, we take for granted because we've done it a lot. The ones that are hard are ones we haven't done before, and they'll make us really uncomfortable. But the process is actually exactly the same. All right. All right. So here, so let's let's start um, for lack of a better term, closing the loop, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and and make all this kind of relevant to the students, the college students who are listening by by discussing how the OODA loop might work for them. And and let's focus first on a situation that a lot of them who are listening are probably thinking a lot about, and and it does require some big decisions, and that's their job search. Yeah. Now, when it when it comes yeah. to their right comes to their job search, they need to decide on some pretty big things like what field they should go into. Um, what type of job to apply for. Maybe you could walk us through how the OODA loop might be applied in, in, in these situations. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, th- that I would say is is probably one of the most important decisions you can ever make in your life right. is what career, what what job you pursue. And again, we, we actually live in pretty good times because in terms of that preparation and the way you described it earlier, I thought was great, that preparation, that observe-orient portion of it. Guess what's out there? There's a whole bunch of data. There's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of information that we can use. We can get feedback from all sorts of other folks. It, the reality is, is that you you can't actually make a decision about what job you want to apply for until you do a little preparation, a little homework, sure. a little research. And even a job that might sound like a really cool job, like for me, oh, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I knew that's a job I wanted. Actually, you can do a little. You can do a little research. You can talk to people. You can Google. You can do a whole bunch of things. Actually, what's required before you make a big decision is you have to figure out what are all the things that you might like and won't like about that job. All the pros and cons, all the benefits of doing it, and all the maybe the 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 downside, the things that maybe won't be so fun. And the reality is, there isn't a job in the world out there that it's all upside. Even for me, flying fighters, which I've wanted to do since I was a kid, there's parts about that job that I couldn't stand that terrified me and, sure. and landing on a boat at night was actually one of them but it's kind of one of those things that if you understand what you're getting yourself into and you do a little a little work ahead of time a little research you actually can make a pretty good decision start ruling out and narrowing that job search down from you know 50 60 different things down to seven or six or five and start to narrow down that search and I think the beauty of, beauty of, of the loop is that if you actually do just a little bit amount of prep, just a little bit of research and bring in one or two or three critical things, you actually can 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 narrow the scope of the things that might interest you down pretty quickly. You don't want to sit there and contemplate 75 different different right. career fields. Yep. You actually like to contemplate maybe two or three. You know, on the flip side too though is some of the people, you know, thing you need to think about with the loop is you make the decision to take action. Here's another thing. People change jobs sometimes. Yep. Actually, people change jobs regularly yep. and you know based on your decision and action you may go back and say hey the feedback i got was i really like this i want to continue to pursue this and, and you might actually get some feedback that the decision you made was wrong um but in terms of the process it's actually it's actually exactly the same yeah it is, yeah. The, yeah and the beauty of it is that that left side that oh oh those first two steps there's a lot of resources out there and i think probably the thing i would encourage folks to do more than anything is explore that as much as you can before you get to that right side of it before you take action uh before you at least make a decision it's really critical to be prepared and it also comes into play not just for the the field that they want to go into but companies 
right? Like the companies oh, that they want that they might want to work the companies they might want to work at, companies they might be considering. Yeah, no, for sure. I would think, let's say you've narrowed down the industry. You've got the career field that you're interested in. You've kind of got that figured out. There are clearly differences in how companies uh, inside individual industries mm-hmm. uh, inter- interact with their employees, You know, opportunities for growth and advancement, the type of lifestyle that you want to live. There's a lot of different companies in the exact same industry, and they deal with the same things very differently. And again, I, I think if you, if you take a quick step back and, and look at the process to go from what do I want to do to who do I want to do it with or what company do I want to do it with, that same process applies. And really what you're doing is you're narrowing narrowing, 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 ruling out, incorporating things you might you might think are still worth exploring. Right. And what you're trying to do is rather than make a decision from a really long list of things, you want to make a decision from a relatively small list of things. Knowing full well, listen, you, you can't you, there's no guarantee that you can do enough work that you automatically make the right decision. But the only way to get that feedback is ultimately is make that decision. You want to pull that from a really well-researched list. You want to do a lot of right. preparation. Right. And it's no different than me preparing for combat. It's no different for me preparing to land on a ship. I need to do as much preparation as I can, knowing that when I get to the art, the right side, there is a dynamic component to that. I'm gonna Things are going to reveal themselves that I didn't know already. But you want to limit the amount of surprises. You want to maximize your understanding going into it and then recognize that ultimately you do need to decide you know take action and and it may or may not end up the way that you want but you don't want to put yourself in a position at the end and go boy had i done a little more prep right i would have been in a much better position yeah that's the wrong place to be so the preparation is is still very critical but you got to know full well it doesn't answer every single thing okay so so now so let's say students that they um they might know the type of job they want want to apply for and, and maybe even which companies you know are going to be the best fit so they've, they've kind of gone through the process to that point now they now they need to start setting up interviews and we all know that for an interview to go well you have to be right prepared so that being said let's say i'm a student who has a big interview how does the ooda loop help me help me prepare for it yeah well so in in some kit you know some uh in one way the obvious answer is is how you just described it is 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 you want to be prepared, and that I think you look. I think it's pretty obvious now that my view of the of the OODA loop is that it's it's sort of ubiquitous. It's everywhere, right? Sure. And I don't want to just reiterate the same things that I've said. So let me kind of take this answer in a slightly different direction, knowing full well that what you described, being prepared, is a hundred percent true, and and it should be pretty self evident at this point that you got to really maximize the left side of that loop, uh, the observe orient piece before going in there. Mm-hmm. But what some what might be helpful for some people to listen to as we're talking about this is that what it really means to be prepared actually in a case like this is the same type of preparation for anything else is you actually have to do it a lot to be good at anything you have to do it over and over again i don't know if anybody here you know if you play sports if you do anything you realize that the best thing you can do is to practice and prepare and do it over and over again. You know, the best baseball players, the best football players, they play a lot of baseball. They play a lot of football. They do a lot of practice. The same is actually true for an interview. You actually can prepare and 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 find yourself that you've sit down and the minute you sit down uh, across from an interview, uh, you've, you, you've sort of forgotten a lot of what you know. We had an old saying in an airplane is that you can pre- prepare all you want 50% of everything you know disappears the minute your seat touches your uh, the minute you touch the, the seat in the aircraft, right, right. and that just kind of tells you that no matter how much preparation you do, your brain's not going to be able to retain everything. The way to actually get comfortable with doing something as challenging as as a big interview for the company you really want is to prepare for it a bunch, and the preparation actually 
is a loop in and of itself because you actually have to take action in doing that. It's not enough to just think it through. You got to sit down with somebody across from you, you know, develop a long list of potential questions, and you have to go through those answers over and over again until you're comfortable with them. And the saying that we use all the time in business, we say it in aviation too, is you actually have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because I got news for anybody that hasn't done a big interview yet, no matter what you do to prepare, you're gonna be uncomfortable when that moment comes. The minute you sit down in that seat across from that table filled with people asking you questions, you're going to be uncomfortable. But you can actually prepare for that. And you can prepare for it by practicing over and over and over again. So you minimize the amount of discomfort that 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 you feel. Now, are you going to be completely comfortable? No, but you might actually be okay with being uncomfortable. And you can differentiate yourself from people that actually get overtaken by the moment because they didn't prepare. Right. And so that thing, uh, this, the same process applies, but I think it's something to kind of recognize that really what it's required for that is a ton of practice. Yeah, that's that's great advice. I mean, and and great way to kind of apply it to that situation. So so there's a, a, a lot of research out there that to support the notion that Leaders who make decisions quickly are viewed more favorably among employees. So decision-making yeah. is really a critical skill for managers and leaders. And conversely, indecision can be the downfall of a person who is or kind of wants to be a manager and, and a good leader because people actually lose confidence in a leader who can't or won't make a decision. And I think, I think the college students who are listening get all that. And for yeah. some of them, it's actually really relevant since they might launch a, they might graduate and launch a startup and start their career in a leadership position and find themselves making really important company decisions in the near future. Now for others, they might not see, might not this might not really seem all that relevant since they might not be in a position right away where they'll be making big company decisions, but but I would argue that it really is because there's still a lot of situations where they'll need to make important and responsible decisions quickly when they first enter the workforce. Now, it's one thing for me to say all this, but but since you help executives apply the OODA loop to all different types of jobs, I thought I'd have you talk about it, but I want to do this in kind of a different way where I put you on the spot a little bit and do a bit of a lightning round. Yeah. Right? So I want to, I want to, okay. I want to throw out positions <laughs> to you, right, job positions and roles that the students who are listening might find themselves in you know, when they graduate. And, and enter the workforce. And then you maybe can quickly tell us how the OODA loop might be applied. Make sense? Yeah. No, okay. That sounds awesome. I, right. I, I, your description <laughs> is, is spot on. I'm in agreement. I'm ready. All right. So how <laughs> might it be applied to, let's say, a sales role? You, you have to actually know what it is your client really wants. You have to sell them the thing that actually helps them the most. And the best way to do that is to do as much research and prep as you can. So when you start selling them something or in a position to do that, it's actually useful for them. <laughs> Love it. Okay. How, how might it be applied to a human resource role? Human resource is dealing with people. That's probably one of the most critical roles. And you already described that. You know what people want? They want decisive leaders that make good decisions and have their actions impact you positively. HR is all about people and people follow leaders and leaders make decisions and they make good decisions. And when they make mistakes, they fix them uh, and they get better at it over time. How might the UDA loop be applied to a supply chain role? Supply chain. This is about performance over time. It's about becoming more efficient and getting the things that you need to either put it out either to your production line or, or the folks that are buying uh, equipment from you. And you actually do that by, believe it or not, by observing a lot of data and knowing w- what's effective and what's not and making uh, updates and changes along the way. That's the left side of the loop. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Um, marketing. 
actually really similar to sales. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know sometimes we see sales and marketing kind of uh, like are, are, are sure. an opposite. They fight against each other. They're actually very simple, uh, similar. When you market your marketing schemes, they have to resonate with your intended audience, with with your with your target audience. And marketing is really about understanding and how to deliver what your clients, your potential clients, actually want. If you ever market the wrong thing, you know you're not going to sell anything. Uh, and marketing and sales are very well aligned there. Again, very similar uh, answer to the loop. Love it. Okay, last one. Um, it. <laughs> IT. Um, the beauty of IT is that the loop relies on the left side. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. The 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 dis the right side of the loop relies on the left side. The observe orient. That's where IT really comes into play. I mean, that's really what they do. The information is about gathering and uh, relevant data and calling it out and delivering the most pertinent pieces of that and getting rid of all the useless information uh, that really just clutters our decision-making process. Uh, anybody that's ever worked in a company with a good IT team knows how effective it is. Anybody that's worked for a company with a bad one knows how debilitating it can be. I love that. Great answers. I'm, I'm sure, I mean, look, you probably use the OODA loop to answer some of those questions. Okay, so. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I might have seen these once or twice before. <laughs> I have experiences with them. That's yeah, right. For sure. So sometimes when, when students graduate and enter the workforce, especially if they decide to take a job at a larger company, they're, they're, they're sometimes hesitant to make decisions. They don't want to make the wrong one. So what's interesting in, in, is that a lot of companies, like take PepsiCo, for example, they don't want them to feel that way. So they encourage employees across the organization to make decisions without hesitation. That being said, what advice would you give to students who are about to enter the workforce about making decisions without hesitation or just the importance of making decisions in general? Yeah, well, well, contrary to what maybe an answer you might be expecting is I'm not going to advocate that you just get in whatever position you're in, especially at a large company, and just, and just start making decisions. I'm actually going to encourage you to find the right balance because – while we actually want to be very decisive, we want to be able to make decisions without hesitation. That's a trait. That's a skill. That's an attribute we actually have to learn. And so you're not going to do yourself any favors by being decisive for decisiveness sake. You're actually going to not help yourself by saying I'm decisive because making decisive bad decisions is not any better than not making a decision at all. Hmm. So I think what, what I would encourage folks to do is recognize that what's expected from you at a big company, a company like PepsiCo, is that very quickly you develop the skills required to make not just uh, not just uh, quick decisions, but actually quick decisions that reinforce the overall strategy and actually support the company's goals. And so it's a blend of both of those two. So the answer isn't to show up on day one and start making decisions. The answer is to show up on day one recognizing that you have a lot of preparation, a lot of work to do to get good at making decisions. Mm. And if you demonstrate out of the gate that you're willing to do the work to get good at making decisions, that's going to be recognized very quickly because your decisions initially are going to be a little bit better than your peers who are skipping over the first two steps of the process and going right to the D. You can't do that. You actually have to start with the first two letters, the first two observe orient. So I'm going to get there on day one. I'm actually going to be pretty quiet initially. I'm probably not going to make a bunch of decisions out of the gate. Right. But I'm going to observe and orient to the world around me very quickly. That way when I do get to make decisions and start making decisions, I'm going to be more effective at it. And that really is a balance. Um, and if you wait too long and you're indecisive and you're quiet and shy, that's ineffective as well. Uh, so the answer is to try to find the, that right balance here, which can be a challenge. But recognize that's what you're being hired to do. Make decisions that are in the best interest of the company being successful. And you got to be able to get to that as quickly as you can. 
great advice. Um, so we, <laughs> we, we covered a lot of ground. Um, and and I, think, I think there's a lot of ways that the students listening could actually apply the OODA loop, that which we talked about, and, and, and really hone their preparation and decision-making skills, which we, you know, are, are, are so important. But before we, before we sign off, I just want to ask if there's a piece of advice about preparation or, you know, or decision-making that you'd like to kind of give the students listening or even an approach fighter pilots use that we didn't discuss that you think could benefit them when they enter the workforce. Yeah, probably the best piece of advice I can give you uh, or give the listeners is is to be humble. Now, let me let me just put that in context real quick. Um, obviously, humility is a critical attribute for a leader. But here's the thing about the OODA loop is we when we start to get good at things, we start to get a little complacent. We start to get a little comfortable, a little confident. And we use that crossing the street example. Don't ever forget that there's components going on around you that 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 are challenging. And it may sound very simple. I look around, I put into context, I make a decision, I act, what's the big deal? And we start to get good at things, we get complacent. The truth of the matter is, is hopefully, you know, this last, you know, 30, 45 minutes have helped understand that while it sounds really simple, it's actually very hard to do. And the more we grow in an organization, the more responsibility we have, the more challenging things can be. Don't get complacent just because you're getting good at something, just because the loop is becoming comfortable for you. Don't get complacent because the results, if you get it wrong, can still be catastrophic. And I, that applies everywhere. And in business, humility will serve you well in recognizing that you don't have all the information. You haven't observed everything. You recognize that there's still more information to be out there, that even when you're good at something, other people can provide you things that are useful. That humility will serve you well not just on day one, but it's going to serve you well when you're a CEO, when you're a COO. It's going to serve you well when you're in a really key uh, decision-making position that the humility allows you to continue to get better and continue to improve. And there's really no end to this process throughout your life. Uh, so stay humble and get better all the time. Great advice. Thanks so much. So, so uh, Dave, th thank you so much for all the time, all the information, for being one of our unexpected professors. We really appreciate it. Oh, this was so much fun for me. Thanks so much for having me. All right. For all you college students out there, some of you may have been skeptical and wondered if we could actually find some skill-building strategies from a fighter pilot, but I'm hoping that we, we showed you it's possible and armed you with some approaches that you'll consider using now uh, when, you're, when you're looking for a job, when you get out into the workforce, even, even throughout your entire career. And remember, when you're looking for inspiration and ideas, don't limit yourself to those expected sources. Do what we did here and consider unexpected sources as well. And like I mentioned earlier, this is, this is something that PepsiCo does to get diverse thinking and perspectives, which helps them build employee skills and spur innovation and create new products. And we wanted you to experience that as well. Now, And of course, if, if, if you want to be part of a culture like that, you should check with your career center to see if and when PepsiCo will be on your campus, whether it's at a career fair or in the, in, a, in the classroom or even partnering with a, um, with a student organization. And, of course, be sure to check out opportunities at PepsiCoJobs.com. Thanks so much for listening.